Welcome to Better with Dr. Stephanie. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This show is for women just like you with a deep desire for learning, self-actualization, and becoming more of who you already are. Every week, we are going to deconstruct how to build better bodies, better minds, better relationships, better sex, and better families. I'll be giving you access to world-class thought leaders to help give you the tools to answer this question. What are the simplest things that you can do today to get better tomorrow? I am part geek, part magic, and want to share the juiciest questions, topics, and often taboo conversations that I think I've always wanted to be a part of and I wanted to be having. So let's get better together. I thought it would be fun to do a four-part series on the menstrual cycle. This is one of the questions that I get by far the most often uh, in my practice. Uh, in addition to, you know, the other big one is what supplements you take and how much you take. So I figured, you know what, let's talk about the menstrual cycle and we're going to go week by week. So we're going to do this week, we'll do week one, which is your bleed week and et cetera, et cetera, until we come back full circle as, you know, being cyclical beings of wonder and magic that we are uh, until we get back to the end of week four. And through each of these um, series, each of these episodes in this series, in this mini series, we're going to be talking about exercise considerations. So what kind of weights you can be uh, what kind of resistance training you can look to, what type of cardio you can be looking to, nutrition uh, recommendations and things to consider, supplementation, and then of course, emotional and mental health. Because as you, you know, if you are a human with ovaries, you know that there is an ebb and flow to our emotional well-being, And some of that is related to the female cyclical reproductive cycle. Now, a lot of this is also going to pertain to my perimenopausal women. And if you are a woman in menopause, then I will also talk about considerations for you as well, because I do believe that even through menopause, even though you no longer have a reproductive cycle, you are still cyclical and there are a lot of benefits to cycling your diet, to cycling the way that you train and to be setting intentions and to be thinking about your mental health and your capacity capacity throughout the month in a different capacity. So we're going to talk about all of those things. It's going to be a great, uh, great deep dive. A lot of these concepts, if you've read my book, we go over them in great detail. I'm going to be adding some color to that, to those, uh, to what I wrote in the book in this podcast episode as well. So the two are really great companions with each other. The book will go into a lot of sciencey details. You'll have all the references there. And this is going to be part of the how-to. I get a lot of questions about how to ease perimenopause and menopause symptoms. And here's a really simple answer for you. Take a good mineral supplement. Your body loses a ton of minerals as you transition through perimenopause and menopause, and mineral deficiencies make a lot of the common symptoms worse. For example, if you're struggling with poor sleep, fatigue, joint pain, hot flashes, or any other side effects that are wearing you down, you might think about giving Beam Minerals a try. Their full-spectrum mineral supplement contains every single mineral that you lose during perimenopause and menopause. And there is a meaningful dose here with close to 100% bioavailability. 
All you have to do is take a shot of liquid every morning to replenish your mineral stores and ease the symptoms that you might be experiencing. Beam Minerals just tastes like water and you'll feel the difference within a few days. Head over to beamminerals.com and use the code BETTER for 20% off. Okay, so let's start at the start. Let's start at week one of your menstrual cycle. And generally for this series, I'll also just say that we're generally dividing this into seven day increments. Okay, so if you have a shorter cycle, like my ladies in early perimenopause, you may find that you used to be like a 29 day girl. And now you're like, hmm, I've lost a day or two. Now I'm like a 26 day girl. So you're just going to divide 26 uh, or 27 by seven, and you'll get, you know, a five and a half day you know, your weeks will be a little lighter. They'll be, you know, maybe five and a half or six days or what have you. All right. So let's start with week one. This is our bleed week. So this is the week that we are shedding the endometrial lining of the uterus. There has been no uh, fertilized egg. The progesterone has suddenly dropped off and now the lining of the uterus has become ischemic. There's been not enough oxygen uh, to the tissue. It has died and now we are shedding it. That is what your period is. It's the endo is the shedding of the endometrial lining. So when we think about the reproductive hormones this week, all of them are very low, particularly at the beginning of the week. So day one through about day four, um, what we see is that estrogen is low, testosterone is low, progesterone is not around. Um, the only hormone that we do see in any significant amount is follicular stimulating hormone. And this is because this hormone is working to stimulate the follicle, hence the name follicle or follicular stimulating stimulating hormone. This hormone is involved in developing the one lucky follicle. There'll be several that develop at one time, but there'll be one that develops uh, one. And of course that follicle is going to house the egg within it. Now the first day of your cycle, it's normal to feel a little crampy. Okay. So, uh, may feel a little achy, a little crampy. Uh, some women will report achiness into the low back, sometimes as low as the knees and up, you know, very kind of tender in and around the diaphragm area. Everything just feels like kind of sore. Like you've had a, you know, some sort of long workout, like you just ran a marathon or something. And this is completely normal. And for any of you who've ever gone through labor um, and or breastfeeding, actually it happens in breastfeeding as well, you'll know what I'm talking about, right? The cramping is the contraction of the uterus to shed the endometrial lining from it. So uh, I, I'm often reminded every month, you know, when I get my period, I'm like, oh yeah, this is what it, ha you know, this is what happened. You know, when I first started breastfeeding my kids, I sort of felt like those labor pains uh, again. Um, and same with going into labor, you just kind of feel this like dull ache, cramping. Uh, it's not, it's, it shouldn't stop you from doing any of your activities of daily living. It certainly shouldn't uh, require medication, but you may just feel a little you know, a little crampy. And in terms of movement, in terms of how you might deal with some of that general discomfort, um, I personally like to take a day off of weights and cardio on the first day of um, my period. I chalk it up to a rest and recovery day, and it's obviously very well justified to do so. 
And what I really like to do is I like to go for a long walk. So, and I'll either one really long walk or several long walks um, during the day. So like an early morning walk and then maybe a walk around sunset. And my step count on the day of my period is somewhere in the 15,000 to 18,000 step range. And that's a, it's a little north of my daily average. My daily average uh, through the month is somewhere between call it 11K, like 11,000 to 15,000 steps a day. Um, Many of you know that I have a treadmill desk, so I will often take all of my meetings and all of my calls, with the exception of my podcast recordings, uh, on my treadmill. So I'm actually standing on it right now, but the motor is not on, because if I turn on the motor, then you're just going to hear this sort of annoying whirring in the background. And I I know that one of you will say, I can't listen to you. I hear this annoying whirring in the background of this motor going. So the, I'm standing on her right now, but right now it is off. But during the day when I'm working, when I'm typing in front of my computer, I'm usually walking at a very slow pace. But on the day of my period, I find that that low steady state, like a long walk, that gentle, constant rocking of the SI joint is really, really soothing and feels really great. And so for those of you that have never envisual, uh, you know, envisioned what's happening when you're walking, your sacroiliac joint is basically a joint between the sacral bone, which is like a triangle and the sac- the sacrum is nestled in between the two ilia of the hips. So the, ili- you know, you may have heard of the iliac crest, the bones on either side of the sacrum are called the ilia and The sacral base is actually the top of the sacrum. It's the top flat part. And the apex of the sacrum is the tailbone or, you know, the proper nomenclature would be the coccyx. Now, I understand this naming might be a bit confusing because the base is at the top and the apex is at the bottom, but the sacrum itself is an upside down triangle. So they're named, we have the sacral base named for the shape, not so much the position relative to the apex. So we have the sacral base, top of the sacrum, upside down triangle, the long flat part, uh, makes a figure eight motion while you're walking. So every time you're walking, your sacrum is basically sort of moving forward and backward, forward and backward. And it makes this like figure eight motion. And this is, I find this to be, and I've had many women who I recommended this to, to be incredibly therapeutic, especially the day of like day one, when menstruation um, starts. So of course, if you feel up to it, you can add in weights if you'd like, you can add in, you know, a bit more rigorous uh, cardiovascular workouts, but a bare minimum uh, on day one, you know, just to aid in the, um, you know, the lubrication of the joints in the low back to gently rock the uterus as well. Cause as your sacrum and your hips are rocking as you're walking, of course, so goes the womb. So your womb will also be rocking and it's just a nice nourishing motion I find on the day of, um, my period. Now I also, in terms of sleep, I like to sleep a little longer. Um, the day I find the day before, uh, I am easily sleeping for 10 hours, sometimes 11. Um, and then on day one, um, I am also sleeping for longer again in that like 10 hour to 11 hour range. And that's not typical for me. I typically am a very steady eight and a half to nine hour gal through the month. Uh, but those two days I have noticed that if I can sleep a little bit longer, um, it just does a world of good 
uh, for me. So if you are able to, you might consider sleeping in, or if sleeping in is not a possibility for you, you start work, let's say at a certain time, then you might reverse it and you might go to bed earlier. You know, if you're tracking your cycle, which I hope you are at this point, if you've been following me for more than a minute, you know that that's the first thing I want you to do is to track your cycle on an app like Clue. No affiliation, just that's the one I use. There's many of them out there, but really give yourself uh, a little bit of extra time in bed. And we all know that the time in bed is not the actual time that you sleep, right? So it takes you a little bit of time as you retire to your bed for the evening. It takes a little bit of time to transition from, you know, consciousness into, um, into sleep. So go to bed a little earlier. And I always love it. Like it's always my favorite when you get your period on the weekend, because then you can just like those mornings, I know I will sleep in until eight or eight 30 in the morning, which for me is just a luxury. Like that's just the, you know, I'm usually up at six or six 30. So to be able to get in those extra couple hours of sleep, either at the beginning of your sleep cycle or the end, just, just absolutely luxurious and highly, highly recommend it. So those are the you know early part of your bleed week, early part of the of, of week one of your cycle. And as you get into the week, you should find that that natural cramping, that normal cramping of the uterus um, should subside. You will see follicular stimulating hormone continue, um, continue to rise. You will also see estrogen towards the end of this week um, in terms of hormonal composition of the body uh, and the reproductive system. Estrogen is now rising as well. And I've talked about this on podcast before, but as a brief, you know, as a brief recap, estrogen is an anabolic, it's a trophic hormone. It plumps up your cheeks, it whitens your eyes, it fills out your lips. Of course, it's involved in our secondary sex characteristics like our breasts and our hips. Um, but it's also, as I mentioned, a, a growth hormone. There are estrogen receptors pretty much everywhere in the body, uh, including the lungs and the heart and the brain and like everywhere in the gut, every, everywhere. And one of the things that estrogen does is it'll help your sleep. So you may find that towards the end of the week, as we see estrogen starting to make its apical and largest rise um, in the cycle, uh, well, we'll see that in week two next week, um, in the context of movement and estrogen, we want to return to resistance training. Now, I wrote about this in The Betty Body, my book, which you can find anywhere on Amazon. We'll have a link to it in the show notes, a clickable link in your podcast app or in the show notes. But I typically will apply a cyclical approach for women to weight training. And that begins in in week one. And this whole week, um, I actually, you know, I, I would classify the entire week as a moderate weight training approach, but that will also within that sort of umbrella term of moderate weights, um, I define moderate as anywhere between eight repetitions to 12 repetitions. So as you go through the week, you know, depending on how many times you're training, you can start the week, you know, if you are starting on maybe day two or day three or day four, um, you can start with a lighter uh, weight load, but you might aim for 12 repetitions of the exercises that you have in your weight program. So this means that you can execute perfect form, right? But the weight needs to be heavy enough such that any reps beyond 12 would be nearly impossible to do with good form. 
So of course that's going to be a little different for everyone, but you, and you need to figure out what that is for you, whether it's squats or bench presses or push-ups or, uh, you know, jumping squats or bicep curls or, all, you know, all the things, right? Like lunges, uh, those are all going to be uh, around the, I, I like around the 12 rep r- uh, range, you know, days one to three, you know, maybe four. And then as you get towards the end of the week, so most women will bleed anywhere between, you know, three to, you know, seven days really, but let's let's call it four to six. Um, you may be doing the same exercises, but now towards the end of week one, still in that moderate rep range, but I like to make the weights heavier such that you are, uh, punching out eight reps per exercise now, and you're really not able to do much more than that without perfect form. And, and I'll, let me just say a little break in form is okay. Okay. So I, whenever I, I, um, I have a a mirror where I I work out and on a really heavy, you know, squat, let's say, or, um, you know, if I have a barbell and I'm, and I'm squatting or I'm lunging, I may see my knee track in like a squeak, but it's nothing, it's nothing egregious. It's nothing, um, so outrageous that I would say, okay, this is not the form for me. So like a little break in form is okay. Um, so eight reps per exercise. So if you think about it, if you're able to do 12 reps in the earlier part of the week, you still, you can move into that eight rep range towards the end of the week. And that's going to also coincide with a rising in estrogen. You're also seeing testosterone starting to climb as well towards the end of week one which is also going to contribute to your energy. As I mentioned, sleep is going to be, uh, you're going to find towards the end of your period, you're going to be sleeping much better. Um, And that's because estrogen really does help with sleep. And just tying up the movement category in week one, um, I have a lot of cardio bunnies that listen. (laughs) I have a lot of you Peloton addicts (laughs) that love to do three, four, five, six, uh, classes a week and, you know, not thrown, not thrown shade to Peloton. Um, but I, and I'll just say all forms of cardio are really great in, in week one. I am personally a lover of steady state cardio, uh, especially if one of your goals, like if you're in your forties and one of your goals is to have more energy, um, steady state cardio is really, really awesome because it is involved in a multitude of processes. Number one being mitochondrial biogenesis and, um, you know, one to two sessions minimum of call it 30 to 45 minutes of steady state zone two training is really great here to support that energy goal. Um, I do know that when I tell women, especially around the, you know, the context of weight loss, uh, to cut back on cardio, like sometimes, sometimes, you know, your knickers can get in a twist. And, um, I will say this with love when it comes to weight loss, the most important thing, you know, if there was a pyramid cardio is right at the top, um, maybe second only to supplementation. So if you sort of think about a pyramid of what's important for weight loss, uh, it's not cardio. So, um, the base is really your nutrition, like what you're eating, your macronutrients, your total calories. Uh, I would also include hormones in there as well. So nutrition and hormones are sort of the base of the pyramid. The second level up from your nutrition is going to be your weight training. So your exercise, uh, your resistance training specifically. So not just all exercise, but your resistance training. Like, are you lifting weights? That's number two. The third piece, uh, highly disregarded, often forgotten about is recovery. I've said this before. I'll say it again. 
everything grows when you rest. When you are in the gym, when you are doing the resistance training, you are breaking up the muscle tissue, but you have to allow for a sufficient amount of recovery in order to get the hypertrophy of the muscle that you're after. So in terms of order of importance, you know, we have the base at nutrition and hormones. Second, level would be resistance training. Third level will be rest and recovery. And then, and only then my Bettys do, does cardio make her appearance. Uh, and that's why I wanted to cardio sessions a week, particularly in this period week, this week, one of your bleed week is, um, is sufficient. Uh, certainly you can throw in a hit train, you know, you can throw in hit, um, as well. Um, hit hits great this week. There's no, um, no qualms there. If you want to do a hit you know, hit training. That's awesome. I personally need to drag my ass out to do a hit session, but the less I think about them, the easier they seem to be. So, um, I'm, I'm really built for long distance and I, um, you, and you know, my history, I used to run long distance and I did do relay, um, as well, which is, which is more, uh, explosive type of movement, but, um, I, I'm, I very much prefer a steady state. I could run forever at one pace rather than like up and down the tempo and the, and the, um, output. But anyway, I'll leave that up to you, but like pull back a little bit on the cardio because that's really, um, especially for, if you're a weight loss person, you know, you really, your nutrition. So the, um, in the Betty body, I talk about different phases of a therapeutic intervention of ketosis for women. And we talk about blending that with intermittent fasting and then phase two of cyclical keto. Um, that's really going to be your ticket. Like the biggest, that will be the biggest influence on the way that you look And then we have resistance training and then recovery and then cardio. So cut the cardio, Bettys. You don't need it as much as you think you do. Okay, so let's move on to nutrition. Um, So we're in our bleed week. We're in week one. And I like to focus on blood building foods here. So remember you're losing a lot of blood this week. You're losing, and with it, you know, all of the, all of the nutrients that your that your body spent time, you know, throw those like fatty acids and amino acids and glucose. And then we have the micro minerals. We have the selenium, the zinc, the magnesium, we have glutathione. We have all of the things that your body has been basically partitioning away from your body and into the endometrial lining. So I, I'm a really big fan of soups, uh, generally this week, all sorts of soups, like, um, you know, bone broth for sure. But I actually like to put in a lot of, uh, red meats. I like to put in lamb, uh, chicken thighs, you know, foods that are generally darker, um, and rich with iron. So think of like your dark meats, like your chicken thighs over your chicken, uh, breasts, for example, uh, red meats, of course, a very, very good source of iron. Uh, lamb is also, you know, the dark meat of the lamb uh, also, again, very good source of iron. Uh, some people in some cultures like goat, that's also a really great, uh, really great, like a lot of my, uh, middle Eastern and uh, Mediterranean, um, backgrounds. You may have grown up with goat. That's another really great high iron food as well. Um, so blood building foods is really what I'm getting at here. So you can have this in the form of soups, or you can just have like more red meats and the chicken thighs and the, you know, the, the iron rich foods, um, as well. This is a great week, this first week of your cycle to carbohydrate restrict and to fast. And we'll talk about fasting in just a moment. Um, but generally very well equipped in the, in the follicular cycle as a whole, but particular, which is the first two weeks of your cycle, but in particular week one, very well equipped to restrict 
calories and to macronutrient restrict like a carbohydrate and to some degree protein as well. So generally, I have found a ketogenic diet very easy to follow this week without much craving, without much digestive upset, without much, you know, disturbance in your sleep. Um, And of course, the caveat here is if you are a woman, you want to be following a female centric ketogenic diet like the one I outline in the Betty Body. And I have plans and I have recipes and the whole shebang in there. But as a as a rule of thumb, um, you want to be having dark green leafy vegetables, uh, generally following a 70% fat, 20% protein, 10% carbohydrate protocol. And then you want to be drinking a lot of water. And when I say a lot of water, for those of you who are trying to overcome stress, like if you identify as someone who maybe has a lot on her plate right now, dehydration is also a stress signal to the brain. And this will significantly drive up uh, cortisol levels. So as a minimum in terms of, and remember, you're losing liquid this week, you're losing uh, blood. So you want to be aiming for a minimum, minimum of two liters uh, a day. That's about 70 ounces for my American cousins and, and more really um, if you're active, a general rule of thumb for hydration, uh, if we're working it in ounces, it's half of your body weight in ounces. So if you are a 140 pound woman, you are going to aim for a minimum of 70 ounces of water a day. You know, if you're 200 pound woman, you're going to be aiming for a hundred ounces of water a day. And of course, this can, you can cycle this up or down depending on your activity level, right? So I typically train, resistance train four to five times a week um, with obviously with weights and then one to two sessions a week of steady state cardio. And maybe one of those is a HIIT training, but they're usually steady state because that's what I love. So I, and I also, on top of that, I'm usually in the range of like 11,000 to 15,000 steps a day. As I mentioned, I'm going to have a treadmill. I'm constantly walking at my desk, you know, I'm like just general, like cleaning my kitchen, like, I don't, you know, as soon as I clean my kitchen, like one of my kids comes in, eats a snack and leaves a plate and half a banana on the counter. And, you know, (laughs) you know how it is moms, right? So I'm always cleaning my kitchen. I'm usually cooking. So I usually aim to get in around three liters, um, but it's usually more like four liters daily um, for my activity level and the amount of water that I, that I sweat out just through natural, you know, perspiration when I'm working out, but like speaking and, you know, moving around. Which brings us to fasting. So we've talked about movement. We've talked about nutrition. For the reasons that are identical to nutrition, um, which is that your body is very resilient in this week. This is a wonderful week, this bleed week for a long fast. So you can try your hand at a, you know, if you've never tried a 24 hour fast, like you might have dinner on a Monday and then you don't eat again until Tuesday dinner. You may experiment with a 36 hour fast, a 48 hour fast, easy peasy. If you've done it before, uh, even a 72 hour fast really without much issue. And of course I will say, um, you know, whenever you are going to do a long fast, like a 72 hour or longer, um, strongly recommend that this is done 
with supervision uh, with your primary healthcare provider. So that might be your naturopathic doctor, that might be your chiropractic doctor, that might be your medical doctor, any primary healthcare physician who is familiar with your diet, who is familiar with your uh, food and your supplementation, your exercise activity. There are other primaries, but these tend to be like your ND, your DC, or your MD are typically um, your PCPs who would be best able to facilitate a DO. I'd put a, you know, osteopath in there as well and be able to facilitate that. So the types of fasting, again, I go through this a lot in the Betty body, but there are lots of different ways that you can fast. Um, in this week, in this bleed week, I tend to like more of a pure fast. So a more of a, I'm more of a Puritan, if you will. Um, so more of like a water-based fast or, you know, maybe a cup of black coffee in the morning and then you, you have herbal teas through the day, but not really a caloric fast. So really more non-caloric liquid fasting. And then you can play around with your, the length of the fast, you know, with the coordination of your, of your PCP, your primary. Let's talk emotional health. Um, bleed week is an interesting week, um, in terms of what you can, how you can augment and how you can use your hormones as your superpower. And I speak about this in my book, but this is a problem solving week. You know, things may have been irking you last week. You know, I talk about this negativity bias and we'll talk a little bit more about it when we get to week four of, of this series, but this is the week to mull it over, right? This is the week to figure out a way forward. Maybe you need to set some boundaries with someone. Maybe you need to work on setting a new goal that you want to achieve for this cycle. Maybe it's regarding your health or maybe it's regarding your parenting or your relationship uh, or your career. You know, maybe you need to have a difficult conversation with someone. This is the week for figuring out the plan for what needs to happen. So mull over what it is that you want in this cycle, this next 28 to 29 day cycle. And you can have a deliberate time set aside this week, like a couple, you know, let's call it 10 minutes every evening. I actually tend to, I tend to ask my subconscious and say, how am I going to solve this problem? Like, how am I going to solve this, you know, issue that I have, you know, at work? Or how am I going to solve this issue that I have with my child? And I'll ask my subconscious, um, to mull it over for me. And then I will go for, you know, I'll, I'll go for a walk, listen to a podcast. Um, I'll go for a weight session and I often find, and this is, this is just me, but I'll share my experience with you is that I find that my solutions come to me when I'm actively not trying to find a solution to it. So you can actually spend, you know, you can either do one of two things, spend time, thinking, actively thinking about the solution or ask your subconscious to mull it over in the background, right? Where it's not in your conscious, it's not taking up some of that decision fatigue and it's not taking up some of that brain juice that you have. But if you, if you distract yourself and do something else by, and I, I find that what works best is by getting into my body. So it's usually when I go for a walk, when I'm exercising or when I'm meditating, because of one of the One of the fallacies I think about meditating is we think that it's strengthening our mind and yes, it is, but it allows you to actually get into your body. I find that I will sway. I find that my body sometimes shakes. Sometimes I'm crying. Like a lot of things happen when I'm meditating, but I'm in my body. So those are, you know, the ways that I take care of my problem solving, or I bring about my power of problem solving this week is by getting into my body. 
So think about this week as a problem solving week. And I said this in the book, I'll say it now, you know, men think about things in order to problem solve. We bleed on things in order to problem solve. So that's your emotional and mental health. In terms of supplementation, you know, uh, when I was talking about the pyramid before we said, you know, nutrition and hormones at the base, resistance training is, you know, the second, uh, step up. Then we have rest and recovery and then, and only then is cardio. And then what I didn't say was that the next level up is supplementation, like supplementations at the little itty bitty top <laughs> of this pyramid. And while it's important, some of the other things that we've been talking about are far more, uh, far more important. So, but let's, let's still have a conversation about it. So I don't personally take a ton of supplements, but I do love to make sure that I have a few foundational ones. So I like to take omega-3s um, every day through my cycle. Uh, in week one, it's no different than it is any other day of my cycle. It's around two grams of omega-3s a day. And by the way, um, for those of you that are interested in supplementation, if you are, if you are working out and you are getting your resistance training, I will make sure that in the show notes or in the podcast app that you're listening to, uh, these will be clickable links. So you can see the omega threes that I take the magnesium that I take, uh, I'm to all, you know, on all the other ones that I'm going to mention now. So, um, magnesium, <laughs> as I just mentioned, uh, something that is so important all through my cycle. And I tend to, I, there tends to be a cyclical application of magnesium for me. So in week one, it's 400 milligrams of magnesium daily. Now there are many, many types of magnesium. Um, there are two that I take regularly. So one is magnesium glycinate or bisglycinate, um, highly bioavailable. Um, so, you know, very easy to absorb. The other one that I like to take is L3 and 8. So this is another type of magnesium supplement that uh, crosses the blood brain barrier. It's been shown to get into the brain so it can help with memory, it can help with focus. Um, and there is a supplement that I, um, there's a supplement that I really like that has both of them. So I'll put the link um, for that in the show notes. Sodium is an essential nutrient involved in the maintenance of normal cellular balance, the regulation of fluid and electrolytes, and your blood pressure. Start your morning right with a refreshing, salty tonic of LMNT. It's spring season now, which means I will be enjoying watermelon or grapefruit salt on ice, and it is a fabulous way to balance stress hormones and make sure that I am maximizing my muscle gains. Element T also has a no questions asked refund policy. Try watermelon or any flavor that you want. And if you don't like it, they will refund your money. No questions asked. And you don't even need to return the box. Head over to drinklmnt.com forward slash Dr. Estima. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And you will get a free Element T sample pack with any purchase. Vitamin D is number three. Now this is really dependent on A, what your vitamin D status is, where you live, how much natural sun exposure you get and how much and of that, like not just sitting in a sunny room, but actually being outside and exposed to natural sunlight. I'd say a very conservative minimum, 
is 2000 international units per day. And that's irrespective of the seasons, right? So if you are live in a warm place or you have a, you know, you're living in a place that has four, you know, four seasons as I do, uh, throughout the summer, spring, fall, winter, minimum of 2000 IUs per day. And then as you move into, um, you know, the fall and the winter that, that number will go North as well. Uh, and full disclosure, um, I have a couple others I want to mention. There are a few that I'm partic- I'm not mentioning um, because I am ex- I'm doing a, a bit of an experiment right now uh, on a few other supplements that I will I promise I will do a geeky magic on in the future as I'm just currently collecting data. Uh, and there's one of them in particular that I'm really, really excited about. So that's going to be coming. Uh, so dangle a little carrot for you, Betty, <laughs> on, a, on a supplement that I'm really, really excited about. But the, the, the last two that sort of round things out for this week in particular is uh, electrolytes. So if you think about the nutrition that you are uh, engaging in this week, if you're following my recommendations, you might be doing a female-focused ketogenic diet like the one I outline in The Betty Body. And that requires electrolyte supplementation because as you carbohydrate restrict, you will also excrete a lot of water with that. So carbs are usually stored um, with three to four molecules of water. So as your glycogen uh, is getting used up and you know, you're using up the carb, you will also get rid of a lot of water. So, uh, and with the water, of course, goes some of our minerals like sodium and potassium and magnesium. So I I personally, there's, uh, I personally have fallen in love with a company called Element. That's L M N T. I have one of these daily this week. Uh, I have, and we'll, as we'll talk about other uh, weeks, there's other weeks where I make sure that I have it uh, daily as well, but it's usually when I'm in keto, I make sure that I have one element sachet, um, a day. And this will give you a thousand milligrams of sodium helps to balance out any, it helps to, you know, balance out any water loss, the electrolyte loss that you have. Um, I am currently obsessing over the watermelon salt and the grapefruit salt. They are limited for the summertime and we're, you know, recording this in the summer, but, um, absolutely love them. I have a discount code for you as well. I'll put that link in the show notes for you. Um, but I believe it's uh, drinkelement.com forward slash Dr. Estima. That's D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And uh, just a fabulous product. Uh, we've had Rob Wolf on the podcast before, and he is the f- founder of this company. Um, just a really overall awesome dude. Uh, really respect his work, really respect his intelligence. And this is this product is, of course, very much in line with the excellence that he exudes. So um, highly recommend the water and the, and the grapefruit as well, if you're going to get some. And then the last thing that I have every day, this is irrespective of where I am in my cycle, but I make sure that I have this daily is athletic greens. So this is, you may recognize athletic greens as being one of the sponsors of the podcast. And indeed it is. I absolutely love this product. This is my insurance policy to make sure I am getting all of my greens every day. And when we talk about, you know, getting your greens as much as you can from your diet, of course, 
that's the goal. Um, but a lot of people can't get in a pound of, of green leafy vegetables a day. And that's actually the requirement that we're talking about. So athletic greens is like, make sure that you get all the sulforaphanes, all the polyphenols, all of the antioxidants, all of the things, um, that are required as well. And I know that we have a discount code, uh, for athletic greens. I've mentioned it before in the intros of the podcast, and it will just have a clickable link for you in the show notes so that you can just click through and see, um, what it is. But it's a basic, I, I believe it is a, you know, a year's free supply of vitamin D as well as five travel, uh, uh, packets as well with any order of, of athletic greens. It's a phenomenal product. I have to hide it from my, I have to hide it from my husband because Giovanni, um, my husband likes to, uh, likes to have them too. And of course I will be nice and I will share with him, but I just always want to make sure I like to hoard a little bit for myself to make sure I have enough for, um, for my daily use. Okay. So those are the supplements. Um, again, I don't like to take a lot of supplements, uh, so you can kind of see very light on them, right? Omega-3, magnesium, vitamin D, some electrolytes and some greens, right? So, you know, it's not that big of an ask to make sure that, uh, these things are being covered. Of course, we want to be able to get as much as we can naturally from our diet and from our, our lifestyle. But when you think about the depleting soils, the, um, you know, the monocropping, uh, this is like, go back and listen to my podcast podcast with Rob Wolf for a more fulsome, uh, conversation about this, but like the monocropping, the soy, the corn, the, not the, ro- not rotating the soil, like our soil is dying. And most of the plants that we eat, get their nutrients from the soil. So we are, even if you were having, you know, you're buying local and you're trying to buy organic that even, unfortunately, that doesn't guarantee that you're going to be getting the, um, you know, a a farm that maybe practices regenerative agriculture or that rotates their crops, lets their soil rest for one or two seasons and then comes back to it. So the supplements are more like an insurance policy to make sure that you're getting some of those micro minerals, um, that we discussed. So those are some of the principles around your first week, your bleed week. Next week, we'll talk about week two, which is your pre-ovulatory week. Um, All of the things that we've talked about today apply to perimenopause. So these are, even if your cycle is erratic, even if you are having really heavy bleeding, even if you think you're running estrogen dominant, these are all practices that you can help to improve your, if you're experiencing any hot flashes or if you're experiencing any breast tenderness. If you are somebody who is really seeing a very heavy bleed this week, you might consider more aggressive fasting, right? To allow for the elimination of um, estrogen from the body by letting the digestive system rest. Of course, taking that magnesium is going to help augment an enzyme called COMT, which is also involved in estrogen, um, metabolism. And then of course, when we are restricting the carbohydrates, when we are having lots of green leaf, if you're, if you're doing keto, if you are eating, you know, the, 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 one of the secret sort of goals of the Estima diet is to help heal the gut. And that is one of the ways in which we eliminate estrogen. And when you're having a lot of the green leafy vegetables, hopefully you're getting in a lot of a compound called sulforaphane, which is going to be amplifying conjugation, which is phase two of liver detoxification and estrogen metabolism. So it's going to help to regulate that as well. So everything that we've talked about today really does, is is applicable for a woman who's in her, you know, her teens, twenties, thirties, forties, early fifties, if she's still in perimenopause, 
And I would say the same is true for my menopausal women. Of course, we know that menopausal women tend to be more insulin insensitive. That's just a natural consequence of, of aging as we become more insulin insensitive. So really pulling down, pulling, pulling and carbohydrate restricting um, is a great way for you to improve your insulin sensitivity. We are talking today, as I mentioned, about week two. So when we think about the hormonal changes that are happening this week, towards the end of week one, obviously the period or the bleed stops and beginning of week two and all through week two, we have follicular stimulating hormone and FSH for short. And this is the hormone that is stimulating, as you might infer from the name, all of these follicles to develop. And so as all there, and there will only be one, there will be one chosen follicle, but in the beginning, many of these follicles are being stimulated to grow and develop. And they themselves start secreting estradiol, which is a type of estrogen. Of course, there are three estrogens, estradiol being the main estrogen in a woman in her reproductive years. And FSH also stimulates something called aromatase. So this is the the enzyme that is responsible for converting testosterone into estrogen. Now, testosterone is produced in the theca cells of the oocyte and estrogen is produced in the granulosa cells. And that may just be a little bit too much information uh, or technicality, but just know that FSH is developing many follicles, and there will also be this increase in aromatization from testosterone to estrogen in the oocyte. So you are going to see, of course, a large spike, as we do if you look at a menstrual cycle graph, of a pronounced rise in estrogen. And in the entire cycle, this should be the highest rise that you get. And if you are not, if you don't have this apical rise in estrogen, it is going to affect several other key moments, key events in your menstrual cycle, such as luteinizing hormones ability to surge. That's um, part of the reason why luteinizing hormone surges is because of the sustained and apical peak in estradiol. And then later in the luteal phase, the ability for implantation to take place. So under the estradiol surge, we start to see things like progesterone receptors being pushed towards the surface of the endometrial lining. So if that doesn't happen and you don't have the thickness of the endometrial lining, happening. And that also happens in the, starts already happening in the follicular phase of your cycle. The thickness of the endometrial lining is not going to be like thick and fluffy um, and, you know, a five-star hotel, if you will, for that fertilized egg um, to uh, house, to implant into. Okay. So estrogen is rising and typically, um, you know, towards the end of your bleed week, you might see something, you know, if you're measuring it, you might see something like 60 picograms per milliliter, uh, in week one, and it may rise, you know, optimally it might rise to 200 or 300 picograms per milliliter in week two. I've seen labs where that rise has gone as high as 600. So an incredibly, uh, astronomical rise in estradiol. So we have estrogen, okay? The other hormone to make note of here is testosterone. 
yes, women have testosterone. And yes, it is the most abundant sex hormone that we have. And I know, I know, I know, we ascribe estrogen as the phenotypically female hormone. And of course it is. It's responsible for our secondary sex characteristics like breast development, you know, hips that don't lie. That's that's my Shakira reference for, for today, y'all. <laughs> so it's, it, it's involved in hip development and the curviness that we see. And of course, fat deposition, right? So women tend to under estradiol or under estrogen's influence will deposit more fat in the lower half of the body, giving rise to that maybe more pear shaped, uh, affinity than, you know, other, other morphologies like an apple, apple shape, if you will. And estrogen also does things like stunt facial bone growth. It plumps up our cheeks. It plumps up our lips. It is the unconscious signal that we are fertile. It's literally natural Botox and filler. Um, But we do have more testosterone than we do estrogen. And testosterone is responsible for many, many functions in the body. Quelling anxiety, you know, hair thickness and volume, body composition and recomposition, muscle mass. And of course, when we talk about muscle mass and muscle integrity, we're also talking about the vagina, the wall of the vagina, which is muscle. So we're talking about the integrity of the vaginal wall, even the contractions that happen during an orgasm, right? Where the muscles of the vagina and the perennial muscles are contracting somewhere between 12 to 15 times a second. I know it's crazy, right? So testosterone is involved in the pres- uh, the uh, preservance of the vaginal wall and of course orgasms. So, as you might infer, your libido rises this week. You might find yourself chasing your husband around the kitchen <laughs> the kitchen island as I do. Um, you might find that your orgasms are more powerful or more profound this week. And this is all like thank you testosterone, you know. I've talked I you know, I've talked about this extensively in my book, The Betty Body, but one of the more powerful strategies for longevity for women is this concept of, well, not concept, it's also an exercise in, you know, boatloads of sex and orgasms. So that is really the main hormonal changes that we see in week two. And I want to explore based on the hormonal composition that you're going to experience this week, some of the verticals that we've been discussing as it relates to movement considerations, nutritional considerations, mindset, and emotional well-being. So the first is movement. This week is, in my opinion, uh, and I would say that the science would back this up, a critical week to be thinking about how to maximize muscle gains. With higher testosterone, you know, the highest that you'll see in this week in, than in any other week in your menstrual cycle, it's always going to be my strong recommendation. This is whether you are perimenopausal or you have a, you know, and if your cycles are erratic or regular, predictable, you want to be pushing yourself towards heavier weights. What is heavy weights? I define that as somewhere between five and eight repetitions. So that weight is going to obviously flux from person to person. It's going to be different from person to person, but you want to be trying to get somewhere, uh, you know, five to eight reps. You may need to, you know, may need a spotter for depending on the exercise that you're doing. And 
you want to be making sure that you're hitting your big muscles, like your glutes, right? One of the most powerful muscle groups in the body, your legs, your back. You know, ideally you hit all of the muscle groups, you're getting your chest, you're getting shoulders, you're getting all of that, but you really want to be make sure, making sure that you're targeting some of these bigger muscle groups as well. And as a side note, when we're thinking about muscle growth in general, uh, this is through the cycle, but particularly because we're talking about this peak in testosterone this week, we want to be thinking about a minimum of 10 sets of any given exercise per week for muscle hypertrophy. So let's say you're doing, you know, four sets of a targeted any one muscle group. You want to be making sure that you're getting back to that at least at least once, preferably twice. So you're getting in 12 sets that week, that week, if you're doing that exercise, you know, over the course of three, you know, over the course of three workout sessions. And this is really important for optimizing testosterone. First, obviously lifting heavy, not to, not to fatigue, but relatively close to it at that five to eight rep count, it's going to spike your testosterone in the vicinity of 24 hours after your lift. So if you think about this, if you are in your 40s or your 50s and you want to be prioritizing muscle growth, which is my very strong opinion that you should be because we know that muscles and bones, they're sisters. They, as one moves up, the other moves up. So we have more muscle mass. We will increase and improve our bone density. And of course, the reverse is also true as well. But you can begin to see that if you have a natural spike of a, you know, after a lift of about 24 hours, you can see now that lifting four or five times a week is directionally going to be incredibly helpful in naturally increasing your own levels of testosterone. You know, not to mention that as your muscles grow, you will also naturally have more testosterone around anyway. So really, really strong bias um, towards resistance training. Another factor to consider when we're talking about movement is the type of cardiovascular, the type of cardio that you're engaging in. Now, I think women in general have been fed this lie that cardio is super important for weight loss. And it is important in so much that it is only relevant after you get your nutrition right, which we'll talk about in a moment, your movement patterns, right? So generally when I'm talking about movement patterns, I'm referring to like non-specific movement through the day. So general uh, non-exercise activity, thermogenesis, of course, resistance training. And then not only is it important after that, but it's only has to also come after appropriate rest and recovery. So this is going to be embodied into any great fitness plan, right? There's going to be time off of muscle groups as you're rotating through your training schedule, obviously prioritizing sleep and also resting on your rest days. Um, And then, and only then, right after we have the nutrition and the movement and the prioritizing rest and recovery, then do we want to consider cardio? And even then as a woman in her menstrual cycle, we want to be conscious of cardio, the type of cardio in this week. So I was telling you earlier about estrogen's peak and it has several different effects. You know, we talked about the, the effect that it has on sort of the natural filler, right? Plumping up your cheeks and plumping up your lips and stopping, you know, bony growth um, in the face, but it also has effects on our structural components. So namely the, the tendons, the 
ligaments, the joints, the spine, etc. So when we talk about the tendinous influence under estrogen, what we see is that tendons get stiffer. So this is really an easy one because I'm already, I've just told you that lifting heavy is a really great thing to do this week. And a stiff tendon, again, you want the Goldilocks of tendons. You don't want it to be too stiff, but you, you know, it's going to, with a stiffer tendon, you are going to be able to accommodate a heavier weight load, a heavier uh, moment arm, a heavier weight in your resistance training, because the tendon is going to be able to exert a stronger force on the bone. Okay. So tendons under the influence of estrogen get stiffer. Ligaments, however, uh, under the influence of estrogen get looser, something that we refer to as ligamentous laxity. So Ligaments are structural components. We find them up and down the spine. We find them around every single joint. And so when your ligaments are loose, they essentially help to stabilize the joint. They help to hold the joint together. So when you engage in, for example, high intensity interval training, burst explosive movement patterns, sprinting, sprinting on the, on the bike. So increasing your cadence, um, you know, burpees, things like things of this nature, where you are going from a slow motion or no motion to a very high, very high amplitude pulse. Uh, this can be really deleterious for your ligaments. And actually we see this in the literature where we, when we look at athletes, when they, female athletes, when they tend to injure themselves, in a, in a ligamentous capacity, it tends to be this weak. So all that to say, back off of the HIIT training in week two. Lots of steady state cardio is great this week. You can engage in zone two training, which I've talked about a lot of. You can like play with zone three as well. Uh, lots of mitochondrial biogenesis is going to be really helpful to uh, promoting energy, but steady state cardio. And if you want to go back for, you know, a deep geeky magic carpet ride, you can go back to my geeky magic called chronic cardio. And I talked to you about how you can estimate your zone two training uh, without going to an exercise lab. Okay. So we've covered movement. We've covered resistance training, cardiovascular type training. Let's move to nutrition. If you are following the Estima diet, so if you are not, I'll drop a link for you to find out more about um, my program. And in you, you are in the phase of the program where you are cycling. So you are not only doing a therapeutic intervention of ketosis, but you are now cycling your ketogenic protocol. This is the week where I will recommend dropping the fat, upping the protein and upping the carbohydrates. And this pairs really nicely with your heavier lift sessions because your body is naturally going to be craving more protein anyway to help with the reparation efforts in the muscle tissue. And so here, you know, we must pause and because we've come to a crossroads. Many women, when I tell them I want them to double their carbohydrates, like they pale, <laughs> you know, they're like, oh my God, I'm going to gain weight. I don't feel comfortable eating carbohydrates. And you know, I am, I'm effectively doubling your carbohydrates because I'm looking for a more potent insulin response. We actually want more insulin hanging around this week 
as we are pairing our li- our heavier lifts um, and and higher protein. And of course, assume this is assuming that you're resistance training, right? Um, you want to give your muscles glucose so that they can grow, right? Striated muscle have something called a GLUT4 transporter. And without going into all the mechanics, I'll say that this is an insulin dependent transporter, meaning that it requires glucose, um, to, or pardon me, it requires insulin to help shuttle nutrients into the myocyte. So we want to help our muscles grow. We want to help to get glucose into the muscle. And of course, I've mentioned this on previous podcasts, but whenever we um, get muscle, uh, whenever we move things like glucose into the muscle, it can't get out because we add a phosphate group um, to it. So I just want to say that ladies, my Bettys, with all the love in my heart, insulin is not your enemy. Okay. When you are strategic about it, you know, you're pairing it with protein. Maybe it's following a workout. So you're getting that, you know, um, you're getting those amino acids and those glucose every day, you know, even through the day in your meals, you are going to be activating growth pass growth pathways to help signal growth. And, you know, I think I'm going to have to do a, uh, a geeky magic just on insulin, because we really do want to highlight that it is essential for many functions in the body. Your thyroid gland, for example, for helping the conversion of T4 to T3, your inactive to your active uh, thyroid hormone, among many other things. So don't be afraid of the carbs, especially if you're lifting heavy. You Glucose is one of the best substrates that you can give your muscles for growth. Okay. I also want to mention fasting. Y'all know, big fan of fasting for women, uh, with of course the same caveat that you need to be smart about it. Right. Um, and keeping in mind where we are in our cycle this week, this is pre ovulation, right. Or pre ovulatory week, right. Right before the follicle is releasing the egg. So fasting too aggressively this week. And when I say aggressive, I would classify this as one or several fasts that are longer than 24 hours and of the water variety type. Okay. So if you are just consuming herbal tea and black coffee and water, I would, I would consider that a non-caloric liquid fast. It is one of the more aggressive types of fasts. Um, and that can influence ovulation. Remember fasting is a hormetic stressor, right? And pushing the pedal to the metal with fasting preceding ovulation will affect it. So just as an, with an abundance of caution, I would still be engaging in a time restricted feeding protocol or, you know, often, you know, referred to IF or intermittent fasting of whatever window feels comfortable for you. So personally, I can share that I tend to fast for about 12 hours this week. No more, you know, maybe it's 14 hours, but I'm generally hungrier because I am pushing my physiological, you know, the limits of my matter because I'm lifting five reps, you know, maybe eight reps. And as I like to say, I need to feed my legs, you know, need to feed the glutes. Um, So after the workouts that I put myself through, I am not really able to fast for 16 hours or 24 hours. It just feels wrong, like innately wrong in my body. 
Now, this, of course, may vary for you. A 16.8 might feel very doable and very comfortable for your lifestyle and your work and your comfort level. And of course, there's always going to be some experimentation and play that needs to happen on your part in order to find your groove. So we've talked about nutrition. We've talked about um, in the context of food and macro composition, macronutrient composition of the diet. So I like a higher protein, higher carbohydrate, lower fat um, breakdown. Usually I will do it in the 40, 40, 20. So it might be 40% um, fat, 40% protein, 20% carbohydrate. Some, some months I will also say that I actually flip that around. So it's 40, 40 carbs and protein and then 20% fat. I also really like that as well. Lastly, I want to touch on emotional and mental well-being. Now, because we have these beautiful anabolic trophic hormones reaching their peak this week, you will likely find that your sleep is more restful, your mood might be a little bit more sparkly, <laughs> and you like people again. <laughs> you know, I always joke. Uh, I'm I'm a bit of an omnivert. You know, I skew a bit more introverted. I tend to be a little shy and quiet when I first meet people until this week. And then I become a switch hitter. Then I love people. I want to be around people. I want to chat. I want to socialize. You know, in other words, you know, I can adult again and I can people, you know, I can people like a pro. So I would, I would offer to you, if you are watching your moods, you know, make a few social dates, you know, with your girlfriends, plan a night out, you know, not a movie night at movie nights, you know, there's almost no talking or no interaction in a movie. And I'm, I'm not a cinephile. So um, you know, unless there's a scheduled dinner or some sort of connection activity before or afterwards, movie nights are just not for me, but you know, no judgment. If you love movies, you know, that's fine, but just get out, you know, have people over to your home, accept, accept the invitation, right? Network with people. You will feel your, you will feel your best, right? Science tells us that you are going to look your best, right? If we're qualifying estrogen's influence on our facial features as looking our best. Um, and you will encompass what I like to call big ovary energy. And you may have heard of, you know, I won't say the word, but big D energy, right? For in men, this is the female equivalent, right? Your follicle is big. It's juicy. It's ripe as a peach. It's about to burst out its egg. And you are going to feel like a queen as you should. Forget about brass balls. You know, bitches, we have big, juicy, ovary energy this week. And the, you know, the only caution I will say, and this is true for me every single time I'm in this pre-ovulatory week, is to treat this extra energy as sacred, right? Choose to spend it on where it matters the most for you in your life. So if you recall from last week, we were talking about the bleed week, you know, bleeding on your problems, right? And I said, you know, men like to think about problems. We should bleed on our problems to figure out a solution. This is the week to drive towards that solution. So your energy, your juice, you know, these big ovary energy juice is sacred. So spend the energy wisely and in a way that is best aligned with your highest values, whatever, whatever that may be. You know, maybe you need to go out and socialize and get out, right? Maybe you need to get dolled up and go out on a date. Like, good, no like I love putting on makeup. I love getting dressed up. It's so fun. You know, maybe you need to go to a business conference and, and network. 
you know, or maybe you need to spend the energy in reparation mode with maybe your partner or your children or spending quality time with people that matter. You know, I don't know exactly what the answer is for you personally, but I know that you have the wherewithal to figure it out for yourself. I know, you know, and so I'll, I'll just say that as a note of caution, because I can find that this week I'm like, oh my gosh, I have so much energy. I'm going to rearrange the furniture. I'm going to get into CAD and I'm, you know, I make a CAD drawing of my ideal beach home. And I just, I'm all over the place. So really just honing in on what your intention is for this cycle in your life. If you do any moon rituals, I think we'll do a geeky magic on moon rituals. Actually, that's something that's really important to me. Um, you know, new moon intentions, full moon intentions being connected to the earth. Um, so again, I don't know what the answer is for you personally. I trust Betty that you are smart enough and capable enough and empowered enough. If you're listening to this podcast on a regular basis for you to know what's right for you this week and how to protect and spend that sacred energy, because your energy is also a currency that we pay in. All right. Last but not least, um, we want to talk about supplementation. And if you are um, a fan of the show. If you've known my work for a while, you know, I spent time telling you where cardio lands in my area of preference. Supplementation is behind cardio. So if we think about a triangle, I'm actually going to do a post on this on Instagram to give you a visual, but the base layer is nutrition and hormone optimization. Second level is resistance training. Third level is rest and recovery. Fourth is cardio. Fifth is supplements. But we'll talk about supplementation because it is important. Again, I don't take a ton of supplements in general. I do have a few foundational ones that I'm making sure that I take in my follicular phase. The first is omega-3s. So I tend to prefer omegas that have a higher DHA content, um, but it, you know that's kind of me getting into the weeds of like what DHA, the different effects of DHA and EPA. Any omega-3 that you have in your closet, you know, in your supplement cupboard is fine. I tend to recommend anywhere from two to three grams of that daily. Magnesium, again, very common deficiency in women, particularly because we bleed every month. So 400 milligrams here would be the base minimum. Uh, and of course, I'm giving you these values, assuming that you are working with a healthcare provider who can tweak these for you. You know, I am giving you recommendations that I often myself use and what has been studied in the literature. So 400 milligrams here in the follicular phase. Vitamin D uh, is another one that I love, again, dependent on where you live, but a minimum of 2000 international units of vitamin D a day. And then if you are punching out some of these heavier lifts, I am a big fan of electrolyte replenishment. So I have absolutely fallen in love with Element. Um, this is a, a company that I do have a relationship with. It is every packet has about a thousand milligrams of sodium and I have a discount code um, in uh, that I'll make it a clickable link in the show notes or the podcast app, wherever you're listening to. So you can just click on it and check it out. And then the last one that I make sure I take is my athletic greens. So this is basically my insurance policy that I'm getting at least a pound of greens per day. Um, and I do, again, have a relationship with athletic greens. So these are two sponsors of the podcast and they actually help make the podcast um, possible. So I'll give you those clickable links, um, knowing that I, if you purchase anything, I will get uh, a small kickback from them. 
Um, so I'll give you the, um, the, the code for the athletic greens is just going to be a, a, a clickable link. Like I said, in the show ca- in the, sh- in the show notes and this has your prebiotics. It has your probiotics. It has all the greens that you might need. So if you're traveling and you don't necessarily are not able to cook at home, it really has you covered. And with the current offer that I have, you have a, with the purchase of, um, your athletic greens purchase, you are going to have a year supply of vitamin D as well as travel packs, which are super, super convenient. So those are, those are my supplements. So we have omega-3s, magnesium, vitamin D, element I take every day, especially during these heavy lift weeks, helps with recovery as well, and my athletic greens. And that's week two, right? So lots of different considerations, very different from week one. Next week on Geeky Magic, we are going to move into the luteal phase. So we are going to discuss some of the parameters around week three. There's some special things that happen in week three. And then of course, the week after we're going to talk about week four. I hope that you have enjoyed this and please feel free to leave a review, subscribe to the pod, tell your friends about it. Let's accrue our Betty army and make us harder to kill. All right. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I must give you the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer here. This podcast better with Dr. Stephanie is for general information only and the advice recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare providers, advice, treatment, or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship that has been formed and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. In other words, guys, be smart about this. Take it with a grain of salt. Take this information to your primary healthcare provider and have a discussion with him or her to make the best choice that is for you. Remember, I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. And these conversations are meant for educational purposes only. 